Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Oh, well, I enjoyed a beautiful, really spring-like day. The temperatures were in the 60s here. The first crocus bloomed, and Mm -hmm. now it's starting to rain a little bit. Oh, my. 
Wow. So I got out. I got out for a walk with Lisa. I got out for a walk with Mike Feather. I got out for a walk with the goats. It was a walking fool today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about for you? I echo the lovely spring day. So enjoyed having some warm sunshine and could feel the earth warming up with my feet. And it, yeah, watched one of the horses. I had to do a double take. I thought, uh oh, is everything okay? But nope, he was just enjoying the warm earth too, all sprawled out oh. back there in the past. So. <laughs> rolling in the earth. Yes, it is. It's really sc- almost scary to see such a big animal rolling around. Especially when they're just laying there and not rolling, because he was right. oh, still, still. just laying there. Oh, how wonderful! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, um, I'm also a little disturbed. Actually, a lot disturbed today, because I had a conversation with somebody who really disturbed me. It was kind of an ongoing conversation, and as part of this ongoing conversation, I suggested that she go to. Um, WDI.org, that's Women's Declaration International, the initials of Women's Declaration International, WDI.org. And first of all, sign the petition for women's rights, and um, then and you don't have to sign the petition, um, but they had a gathering, a Zoom gathering, Saturday mornings, and there are four printers. Um, from all over the planet, talking about uh, what's going on with women and um, how um, women's lives um, can be made safer and better. So she said to me, well, I went. She said, and it just looks like a gathering of transphobic people. Wow. And I was... And I was shocked. I almost didn't know what to say. But finally I said to her, I I don't really understand what you're talking about. There's nothing there that's phobic or fearful or against anything. She says, well, it's all about women and for women. I said, well, yeah. She says, well, that's transphobic. Wow. Yeah, woman, that hurt. I was just totally stunned. I was I really. I was just I didn't. You know, I, I I thought to myself, how can it, how can it be that to to understand yourself as a woman is to somehow be labeled as being afraid of others, um, which of course it's not. And she said, well, maybe it's just a generational thing, you know. Like, your generation sees it one way, and my generation sees it a different way. Hmm. And I thought, you know, maybe that's maybe that's possible. Well, hey, have we figured out yet that I pick up the mail on Tuesday? I pick <laughs> up the mail. Go to the P.O. box, and I pick up the mail on Tuesday. I'm on the way out to my singing lesson, which is kind of far away. And so I've taken to reading Things that I get in the mail on Tuesdays because I like the synchronicity of it. And I opened this package. It was a, a package. It's a from a correspondence course student, and um, she started her correspondence course I guess about ten months ago. And she's pretty much just 
gone right through it. It's pretty amazing, the work that she's done. And just in contrast, uh, Lisa was going through some unfiled stuff, and she says, oh, my gosh, listen, here's a letter from somebody that wrote you four years ago. And we pulled her file. And I had written her nine years ago. Wow. So I said, well, that's fine. We're, you know, we're like on a very slow track here. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, I'll write her back. You know, maybe it'll get a little faster. <laughs> There's no time limits on the correspondence courses. So I opened this this package. Um, it's every project in the ABC of herbs all written out. It's just beautiful what she did. And it says, hi, Susan. I really appreciated the conversation last night about women's rights. I love being a woman, and I never want to be canceled or vilified for saying so. Hmm. And I thought, well, I'm so glad to see that. So I'm reading through her account. You know, it's the ABC of Herbs, so... A is for aloe, here's how I've used it, da-da-da, and arnica, and then B is for burdock, and here's what I did. And so I'm through the whole alphabet, the whole alphabet, and way back here, what are we? What letter were we at? I think it was like T. It was way in the back here. under T she says and I'm 28 years old Hmm. and I think well wait a second this other woman just said that it was a generational thing but 28 that's like about a third of my age that's certainly a different generation so hey listeners what do you think? Is it okay for women to be told that we don't have a culture and for our culture then to be made fun of? Is it okay for women to be told that we don't have any rights as women? Is it okay that insurance will pay for erectile dysfunction drugs and not for birth control or menstrual products? Is it okay? We heard from... Uh, one of the women at um, the talk on Saturday mornings that in the country where she lives, I believe it was Brazil, um, menstrual products are considered luxury goods. Oh, my goodness. And there's a huge tax on them. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> so I'm interested to hear. Call in tonight if you want to and say... Um, no, I feel perfectly fine with what's going on. I don't feel like I'm being erased. I don't feel like women are being vilified. Um, but, you know, let us know. Is this a generational thing? Do young women really believe that they don't need access to birth control or emergency abortion? Because when I have brought that up with another woman, you know, and It was something, actually, that I have said more times than I could possibly count in the past 25 years, which is, don't call me a guy, 
And if you call each other guys, you're going to lose your reproductive rights. And she said to me, well, I don't care. I'm never having any children. Hmm. But I don't, don't, and I couldn't say to her, you don't, don't really get what reproductive rights are. Your reproductive rights is the right to say you don't want children. Right, right. That's what your reproductive right is, right? Basically, before my generation, women didn't have that right. That's what my great aunt would tell me. Like, that's pretty much, that was it. You had babies. You got married, and once you were married, there was no way not to have a baby. So you had babies. So you had babies, right. And the average marriage age on this planet is 14. COVID pushed that down to 12, which means Mm. that you have a baby when you're 15. Wow. And why would this woman even say, well, I'm not going to have children because she has education and a career? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know wonderful women who've had babies at 15. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It works quite well in a cultural setting. But we live in a, a, a world that is uh, much more homogenous. So we don't have that small group cultural setting that we used to have that made it work for 15-year-olds to be the moms and mm-hmm. 30 years, years old to be the grandmoms and 45 years old to be the great-grandmoms. <laughs> right? <laughs> there is something right? beautiful about that. A romanticized it's very beautiful. Living yeah. it might be a whole <laughs> But if you don't have a choice, exactly, then exactly. then maybe it's not beautiful for you, right? Maybe that woman who's saying, "Well, I'm not going to have any kids anyhow." Maybe she's the one who's benefiting the most from the reproductive rights that myself and lots of women before me, from Margaret Sanger on down fought for and I don't use the word fought lightly Mm. you know one of the more traumatic events of my life which has had trauma in it as everyone's life does was um, almost dying from an induced miscarriage and waking up in the hospital with a policeman telling me they were going to throw me in jail. Oh, wow. And he said, tell me how you did it. And I said, I didn't do anything. It just happened. Mm. He said, we know you did this. I said, I didn't do anything. I, I don't know enough to do anything. But there I was, you know, they told me, you know, another couple of hours, I probably would have been dead from blood poisoning. That's terrifying. And I'm and I'm having to be alert enough to not be jailed. That's what reproductive rights are, ladies. And that's what happens when you don't have them. I when I went off to college at 
tender age, yeah, I volunteered for the um, rape crisis center. And I saw women who'd been raped, raped again by the legal system. Mm. You know, that said, oh, you're raped, Will. Spread your legs. We need to get up in there and get some sperm. So, having lived almost three times as long as 28, (laughs) I uh, have some real-life experience with what happens when you don't have the right to do with your body as a woman what you would like to do with it. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I got a wonderful promotion from one of my favorite periodicals called Worst Pills, Best Pills. And there were several things that were very interesting in this promotion. First of all, the back of the envelope that it came in said, side effects and medications that cause them. Hmm. So we have abdominal pain, ulcers, gastrointestinal bleeding, Advil, Celebrex, right, and all the way down, automobile accidents, Ambien, Celexa, Lexapro, blocked urination, Benadryl, Haldol, I'm not reading them all. I'm just reading a couple. It's a long list under each one. Confusion, delirium, Ambien, Benadryl, Cipro, constipation, Benadryl, Malox, dementia, Indorol, Valium, Xanax, Zantac, diarrhea, and goes, ah, ah, this is just on the envelope. Wow. And some of those are so common that people might be so reading. Yeah. Right. Right. And then inside, once you, once you get yourself through all of that, right, and you open it up, it says twenty pills you should not take. And of course, then it says consult your physician before you stop taking anything. Mm. And they um, go into detail with the twenty drugs that um, are the best candidates for you to get off them. And they include some of the ones we're just reading about, right? Valium, Mm. Relenza, Lunesta, Crestor, Celebrex. So worst pills, best pills. If you're taking pills or anybody you know is taking pills, you might want to check them out. Quite amazing. And before we leave, the Correspondence Course student, who's 28 and really appreciates being a woman, um, I also want to mention that I was very happy to read that she said that once she started drinking nourishing herbal infusions on a regular basis, that her allergies melted away. Hmm. Oh, no. This is not- <laughs> It's not the first person I've heard this from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
talkative I've been tonight. Are there any questions? Oh, let's see. We do have a couple questions so far. Um, they already know to press one to get lined up in the queue. So I'll remind everyone else listening, if you have a question for Susan tonight, you need to press one to get yourself lined up in the queue. Our first caller, we have four callers lined up now. Number one is coming from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Well, (laughs) thank you for just, uh, I heard what you said. And um, I was thinking on... uh, Women's International Day, that if women would be heads of states and diplomats, we will not have war as a solution to human problems. But anyway, I am about my problem is my blood pressure is going up. Um, I talked with you maybe three weeks ago or so, and I started taking more uh, three times a day, uh, the Hawthorne and uh, Mother Worth also trying to take more than twice, but um, my blood pressure is going up, and I don't want to go to the doctor because they'll give me a pill. I don't want to go to the hospital because they'll do things I don't want them to do, and I am basically in a situation that uh, last week when, for I don't know what reason, I threw up the motherwort after I took it two hours later, and I was afraid that I'm getting a heart attack because uh, on, on the symptoms, one of them is like a symptom of uh, having uh, uh, indigestion. Uh, but um, after I threw up, I was okay. However, I was extremely concerned about the fact that if I do get something similar to a heart attack, uh, I don't want to call 911, and I don't want to call anybody I know because I don't want to get out of my bed. And uh, I realize this is, you know, a very unrealistic situation, and I need your advice in this respect. I'm still very weak, even though I do exercise, I told you I do Feldenkrais, I do walk out, but every few minutes I have to sit down. I'm still dizzy, which I thought has to do with taking medication, but I'm not taking medication for two months now, so I I expected that to undo itself, but it didn't. I do have this unfortunate uh, gift or curse uh, of picking up uh, of, of pains from my environment, and one of my good friends had uh, an ablation, and she's on medication, and her medication makes her dizzy. And um, since I'm picking up on those things, I don't know anymore if I'm dizzy because of me or because of her or a combination, or I feel very ungrounded. And uh, I'm asking you for your wise advice. I hear you, and I hear a lot of directions that you would like to go in. Yes. My friend, Miriam Dyack, does a kind of therapy called voice dialogue. 
and she trains other people, so I know there's lots of other people who do voice dialogue, maybe even one in our local area. And it's what I think of when I'm in that situation where I am hearing a lot of different voices in my head, and they are suggesting very different paths. And the goal of voice dialogue is to put you in the center of those voices. The way that it's done is that you give voice to each of those voices. Now, because you have a lot of ability and a lot of sensitivity and a lot of training, you could probably pull off some version of it yourself. It's like an expanded gestalt. So there was one voice that said, I don't want to call the emergency room. And you choose a place in the room and a chair and a body posture that's that voice. And then there was uh, another voice that says, and my blood pressure is going up. And that voice is pretty worried. And you find a place and a posture for that voice. And they're not limited to that. They can say other things as well. And there can be dialogue and conversation between the different voices. And the idea is not necessarily to come to an agreement, but to have a sense of who's talking to you. In one instance, in which I did this, there was one voice that was particularly loud, and I kept shoving it off to the side. I wouldn't vocalize it. I could hear it in my head, but I wasn't going to say it. And that was very telling to me. That I had this strong statement about what was going on that I wasn't willing to even give voice to, even though it was probably the strongest thing going on in my mind. Because we are very complex beings. You can both be terrified that you might have a heart attack and die. And at the same time, very calm about dying and want to stay home and die. I don't know what the requirements for hospice are here. But in many places, you don't have to have a terminal diagnosis to engage with hospice. My father died in in two minutes under my eyes, so hospice doesn't seem like a solution for me. I want I want grateful. Well, what is hospice? What is hospice? A hospice is a place where people die slowly under. No, absolutely not. Hospice is a group of caring people who will come to your house 
and support you however you need to be supported if you have a sense, which you seem to have, that you may not be living for a lot longer. But there's no, so far as I know, you don't have to have a terminal diagnosis to reach out to hospice, and you don't have to go and live somewhere. But you're looking for some place that you could be connected to that wouldn't be an emergency room, yes. but maybe but maybe wouldn't be staying home. Oh, I see. And so if you create that relationship now, Uh then when you need it... Yeah, it's there. It's there. And again, I don't know. I don't know hospice varies greatly from place to place, Uh but I have heard... You know, not in direct conversation, but almost indirect conversation, people talking with great happiness about their experiences with local hospice. Mm-hmm. So there must be a local hospice here in Woodstock? I don't know if there necessarily is, but I bet family would know. Oh, I would call family for that. Okay. Just call family and find out what your hospice options are. And then if I'm all washed up and it can't work at all, you can call back and tell me, nope, that doesn't work. We have to figure something else out. And about my blood pressure and the Hawthorne thing, um, apparently, I, I know I am under pressure. and. Yeah. Uh, So if you went to the doctor to get drugs, the most likely drugs they would give you would be diuretics. No, I don't want to take any drugs. I just And what I'm saying, where I'm going with this, is that you can look and see what are plant diuretics. Plant diuretics? Plant. Which plants are the strongest diuretics? Why do I need diuretics? Because they bring blood pressure down. Oh. oh. If you were to go to the doctor, they would probably give you diuretics to bring your blood pressure down. Uh-huh. So I have heard people talk about using celery juice, parsley juice, parsley root tincture, dandelion root tincture, Although one herbalist said that she had her class measure their urine output for a week and then take dandelion and measure the urine output while they were taking dandelion for the next week, and it wasn't different, so she doesn't think it's diuretic. Mm-hmm. Which I is love- what I'm saying, you know. Do some research into it. What plants are considered to be the strongest diuretics and find one that works for you and see if it lowers your blood pressure. Like if I like celery, I can just um, put celery in the blender and and drink it or what? Yeah. Or even cook it and drink the cooked celery broth and eat the cooked celery. I like celery very much. There you go. Sure. Like you know, try it various ways. See 
you know, which, which way. It's like, why do people put something like peanut butter in the celery? Because one of the ways to increase nutrient from any vegetable is to have it with something oily, and peanut butter is oily. I'm eating very oily potatoes with eggs in the morning, really. They're swimming yeah. excellent oil, and I enjoy yeah. it. Yes, so so that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of different ways to have celery. You can have celery with peanut butter. You can blend it up in the blender. You can cook it. You can, right? Yeah, well, I fry in peanut oil. I love peanut oil. As with an, any oil from a seed, tasty, good for you, lots of monounsaturated fats, but... High in omega-6. Well, you know, extra virgin olive oil, I think it's a good one. I have that. Um, I have the sesame oil. Extra virgin olive oil is not made from a seed. Oh. It's made from a fruit. Olives and avocados are fruits, and those are fruit oils. And almost everything else is made from a seed. And seeds are very rich in omega-6s, but fruits are rich in omega-3s. So fruit has a seed inside it, right? Yeah. Right, the olive has a seed inside it. And the oil, you don't want the oil made from the seed. That's called pomace oil. So the you know the omega six fatty acids um, are drivers of inflammation. Oh, reduce inflammation, you mean? They induce inflammation. Yes, they oh. increase. They increase inflammation. That's not good for me. I am inflamed. Yeah. So the, the olive oil, and interestingly enough, animal fats, which can be very high in omega-3s, are the things that quell inflammation. It needs to be pasture-fed and organic animal fat. Yeah, I do that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just said that for people listening because I knew you already did that. I eat a lot of eggs. <laughs> I uh, love. We live in a very eggy area. I love Seems eggs. Like, yeah, yeah, they're wonderful. So I keep going. I keep taking the hawthorn, or is there another one that would? I think you're good with the hawthorn. I think you're good with the hawthorn and the motherwort. I don't think that you threw up because of the motherwort. I think you threw the motherwort up because it was still in your stomach. Most people don't really quite get that food stays in your stomach usually for about four hours. Yeah. So if it was two hours after you took it, it was just still in your stomach and then you threw up. Doubt that the motherwort caused you to throw up. I... I, I I did something unusual. 
I realized that it's hard for me to take it three times a day, so I decided that I'd take it only twice and put more of a dropful, and that was probably a bad idea in combination with what I ate before. That's I hear you. Explanation. I Yeah. Yeah. Because it never happened before with sometimes less, Sometimes less is more. If you if if your real sense is that you're pushing it on the amount, then back off on the amount and just ask that the less be enough. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did. I mean, I first of all I didn't take it for one day, and the next day I took only the good. Drug. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Yes. Thank you very much, Susan. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's a very difficult place when we step off the path that everyone expects us to be on. Yes. I was yes. teaching in Germany at a week-long um, breast health workshop, and we were able to get close and pretty intimate during that week together. And one of the women told us that she had a diagnosis of breast cancer and it was her second diagnosis of breast cancer. And the first one had been quite some time ago. And that she had decided this time that she didn't want any treatment. And that the hardest part of that was dealing with all the people who didn't understand her choice. Yes, yes, I am in that place also, but I don't deal and I don't talk about them because I know what they think. So yes. I'm pretty isolated, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so when you when you do that, it can you can feel isolated. Yeah. I don't have to. And, and I know that you know that yes. you can also connect yourself in to um, anyone who has ever been in your place, who's ever lived, because that's available to you. Yeah. Yeah. For for whatever they can offer you, for whatever grace, for whatever understanding. Yeah, I'll call family and see what's with the host the hospice thing, and maybe I'll meet some people who, you know, are open to alternative thinking. I think you might. Yeah. Yeah. I love you. Thank you. I feel it. Thanks. Green blessings. Good night. All right. It looks like we have six callers on the line. Our next caller is dialed in from the 252 area code. From the 252, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? I'm enjoying it. How about you? So far, yes. Um, Calling with a livestock question, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about milking the goats. I was thrown into milking the sheep a little bit faster than I thought because I had one of the teats on my sheep was not, the, the, the lambs weren't nursing from it, and so 
it was really getting backed up and and these are dairy goat or dairy sheep and um so i had to I had to milk her for the first time today, and it was the first time milking for her. And I'm questioning some of the things I'm being told about sterilizing the teat and wondering if you're doing anything um, to salve them or should I, is, there, is there anything I should – can you just talk about how you milk the goats a little bit? Yes. I have a small-scale operation, and I am – Milking for myself. Therefore, it is acceptable to me to wash my hands before I go to the barn. To keep my hands reasonable. Sure, I'm going to open the feed bin and dish out the feed, but I'm not going to go out and feed the rabbits. So I take a little care with my hand. The goat comes and gets on the milk stand where her feed is. And she is clipped just at one point on her collar to remind her that she's supposed to stand there and eat her feed and not go investigate things. I don't know if sheep are as curious as goats. And I, she's standing on a piece of wood that is attached to the corner. It's in the corner of the barn, so her head is up against the wall and one of her sides is against the wall. And the feed bin is the other short end, so it's really just open at one end where I sit. And I'm sitting with my back to the goat's head. So I'm facing her udder. My right hand is on her left udder, my left hand is on her right udder. And I use a brush to brush off her udder. We're pretty fastidious about keeping the stalls bedded so they don't come with doo-doo on their udders. What I'm brushing off is pieces of hay. Thank you, I don't want the milk. And once it's brushed off, I hang the brush, I get out my milk bucket, I put it under her, and I proceed to run my hand up the teat until I feel where the teat comes into the udder, and then I push as though I were a kid. Bump. You've seen them do that, right? Bump, bump, right? I understand why they're doing that now. <laughs> right. So you've got to do that. Yeah. You've got to go Bump, bump. That lets her know to let down. Give me the milk. Bump, bump. And they do it pretty hard, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Their pain threshold is very different from yours. So certainly don't be mean, but don't be afraid to really use some force. When you feel, it's, right, we're talking about this, but really it's just bump, bump, and then it's happening. And you're going to squeeze by holding the top of the teeth between, in the web between your thumb and your first finger and curling the first finger around the teeth as hard as you possibly can. And then the 
middle finger, the ring finger, the little finger, and then you're going to totally release. And then you're going to do that with the other hand. Tight as you can, put the pointer finger, middle finger, ring finger, little finger, release. And you're going to alternate hand to hand. And if you haven't been doing hand exercises and you're not used to milking, you'll probably get four or five squeezes per hand before your hands cramp up. Well, we had to take about 24 ounces off of her today. And I'm, you know, the, the gal that is our breeder and my mentor in this said that when these lambs are larger, they're going to consume from both sides. But right now they're so little that they're okay to feed off of one teat and they're not running it dry. Um, so, for a while, in the next couple of weeks, I might have to take milk off of her so that that, right, that, that other side doesn't dry up on us. And, and exactly. I well, it little... sounds like you don't, that the, the sheep are not as milky as the goats. Like when you say ounces, are you, is that a weight or a volume measurement? I have it, like in the mason jar. I had 24 ounces. But that's all, I mean, this is the first time she was ever milked, in, and I mean, I had, I had colostrum coming out. And, um, uh-huh. and, and it I, makes a really great I, rice pudding. <laughs> well, and that was, you know, the, the gal that I'm working with said that, she said freeze it. She said you'll need it someday, and uh, she's found that where she can freeze up milk, it's just helpful when she has an orphan or she has some, you know, a, a you that doesn't make it or, you know. So she she suggested that I freeze it. Um, but I did ask her about it, and, you know, do people drink that? And she said usually you wait a week, and that's when the milk would become con- consum- con- better for human consumption. When it foams in the bucket, it's milk. Okay. Okay. And this definitely didn't. And and I think um, – yeah, you're, you're talking 24 ounces, right? Yes. So when one of my goats has just kitted and is in milk – we're talking about a gallon. Well, and that's what we'll be getting a day, from what I understand, is, is that we're looking at okay. a, a five, so you five need to get your hands. That's what I mean. You need to get your hands strong. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so what she suggested okay. to me is after about 45 days, she said she lets the, the lambs take the milk for the first 45 days, and then she said what she'll do is she'll, she'll separate them overnight and she'll milk in the morning and just take exactly the milk Exactly what off I do, and then let them run during the day. Yep, yep. And so I, I but and I mean, we put our animals away in the afternoon and milk. Wow. You have to milk every 12 hours. So we then, you know, separate them. First, we can either keep them separate overnight or we can just keep them separate from when they'll get put away in the afternoon until milking time at night. Okay which is a little easier for everybody, and then, you know, the afternoon and the night. And then they always get to run with their moms. And moms Mm -hmm. have different temperaments about whether or not they're going to actually let them nurse. So in terms of preventing mastitis, I was cautioned about making sure that the teat is wiped down. And she, you know, the, the gal that is our mentor in this, she's actually wiping them down. She uses um, wipes and she puts a disinfectant in it. And I, I don't remember what she was actually using, but you know, it was something like iodine or, or um, well, you uh, notice that I don't do that. 
is it necessary? Am I, I mean, I don't want to put her at risk, but, but you're saying you wash your hands and maybe feed them first and that's about it. I'm feeding them while I'm milking them. Okay. So they're eating at the same time. She, to, you know, eating to, at well, the same time that, that I'm milking them, which distracts them. And, again, it's up to you. There will be more bacteria if you don't disinfect. But why do I want raw milk? I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about the the sheep the getting milk. Well, I want the raw milk because I want bacteria. I yeah yeah. I, 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 I don't I don't right. keep sheep, so I don't know. Perhaps um, they're Teats are different, but I don't think so. I don't think so either. So it would have to be a pretty strong bacteria to get itself up that teat. Now, let me be clear. You're using your hand to milk. You're not using a machine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, my hand. Using your hand. You can get that first finger tight enough that no milk goes up when you squeeze. Okay. That's where mastitis comes from. Okay. If that first finger is not tight and then you Mm -hmm. squeeze the the middle finger, then you're pushing milk back up, right? Okay. So that's how to safely do it for the animal. In order to safely do it, the first finger has to make that tight sphincter so that then the Mm -hmm. other fingers push the milk that's in the teat out without anything going back up into the udder. Thank you. That's that I didn't know. And that helps me to understand my role in that better. Yes. And that, that's why I was making such a big deal about it, that when we train apprentices to milk, um, we actually have them do hand exercises um, for at least a week before we even let them try to milk because they won't be able to hold that tight enough with that first finger, and you need to cut your fingernail off there too, right? So it can really curl in. Okay. All right. Well, I've got. I, I, I'm as far. I think we're only going to be having to work with this one teat and that one side of her udder. And I think that these these lambs are are vigorous and they're they're doing really well. And I think right. that they'll figure milk on the other side, and that this will be short lived. Until then, I go to milk, and and so this is sort of yes. a warm up. <laughs> All right. Yes, kind of a warm up, right? <laughs> I think I'm you're going to do fine. Say it again. I said the animals really challenge us, don't they? Oh, well, it has, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was pleasantly surprised to find the lamb Saturday morning. And um, you know, it was my first time with that experience. And so it was really uh, a shocker. <laughs> there they were. Where did you come from? What? <laughs> and, well, my husband said, where did they come from? I said, well, from Molly, of course. You know that, right? You <laughs> know that, right? <laughs> Birds and the bees, dear. <laughs> Yeah, it was. We had some wicked weather, and and there they were, and it was time to get busy fast. And so they don't follow anybody's clock but their own. So if you decide that you do need something to disinfect, you don't have to use iodine, and you don't have to use bleach. 
Oh, and you certainly don't have to use throwaway wipes. Ick! You could use you could use yarrow tincture. Have it in a spray bottle, right? Oh, you spray it on there. Wipe it off with a cloth, which you can wash. Yeah. Okay. If if you think that you need or want a disinfectant, again, because I haven't seen mastitis occur from that way, except where there's equipment involved, which is why I checked to make sure that you were actually milking by hand. Um, I think so long as you get your your finger your finger tight enough that you're in your your sheep will be in good hands. Okay. Um, quick question about disinfecting. Do you do you, another place where iodine was recommended was with the umbilical cord, and to immediately saturate the umbilical cord, submerge it in in a little cup of iodine to prevent any bacteria from from that being a vector for infection. Do you do that as well, or anything like that? How many sheep do you have? Two. And now they're two lambs. You have a very small herd. These yeah. kinds of things are really important when you have hundreds of sheep. Okay. All right. And Melissa has not hundreds, but she's got 30, and it makes a difference in her world. Makes a big difference. Okay. All right. Well, I wiped the area down with iodine because she looked at me cross-eyed when I told her I hadn't done that. And she's like, didn't I tell you to do that? I was like, I just didn't even ring a bell. I don't know that I'm supposed to do anything with the umbilical cord because I just expect it to fall off like it does with every other animal. Exactly. Um, and it does. And, and I, no, I have never, never done that. And they're all, we don't touch it with a hands-off rule. Yeah, I would have thought so, too. Or, yeah, you know, keep your keep your hands away from it until it falls off. Absolutely, you know, if you're going to pick them up, you got to pick them up without touching that area. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And and a, so a, again, a take, is a good take sanitary is, is, take sanitary precautions, right? Which is what we're talking about. But you don't have to go to those lengths now. Brian Drum. Um, truly believes that a lot of the thyroid problems that women experience are from iodine used this way in the dairy industry. Okay. So I would say that you would have a good case for not using the iodine because you don't want it contaminating your environment. And, and that was pretty much what I decided, that I didn't want an iodine in my environment, and I sure didn't want bleach in my environment. No. And whatever that meant, whatever I was going to have to take care of, it was okay because I didn't want those things in my environment. Okay. And if I think I need a disinfectant of some time, just reach for the yarrow. I, you know, I, I, just, I wasn't sure which of the tinctures might, you know, I know internally, but I was thinking externally I just don't feel like I have a grip. And yarrow will yes. do it. That makes a lot of sense. Yarrow will do it. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening. You're welcome. Green blessings. Thanks for asking. You too. Bye-bye. All right. And we have five callers with their hands raised. The next is dialed in from the 434. From the 434 area code, you are live with Susan. Hello in the 434. Hi. Yeah. Hi. There you are. I, I had to... <laughs> Hi. 
Um, I have kind of an embarrassing problem that I've been trying to get help with for doctors, and I just don't really feel like I'm getting very good advice. And I um, have taken a couple herbal classes, and I do try to heal myself with herbs, but because I would try and call with the with the best here. Um, I am. <laughs> I've been following you for a while. Um, I'm 48 years old, and I, I believe I'm in menopause. I haven't had a period in over a year. And I have a new sexual partner that is bigger than my past partners. And we were having sexual intercourse and he had something that felt like it was kind of past my juice spot, I guess. And it caused a little bit of pain. And so um, after I had a problem like sitting for probably about five days and it hurt to sit. And I started looking up all the stuff and it, I thought that I had bruised my cervix. So I went in for a doctor's appointment. They said, um, no, it's, it's a little red and raw, but you didn't bruise your cervix. Gave me a pelvic, said, well, your pH levels are elevated probably because of his sperm, but it's not enough for bacterial vaginosis, but we're going to give you some antibiotics anyway. So I took some antibiotics, went away a little bit, never went away completely. So then I called uh, two weeks later, uh, three weeks later, and I said, it's not completely gone. I still have pain when I sit, but it's kind of like below, below my navel. And it almost feels like it's almost like a, maybe he, bruised my bladder or something. So they gave me another round of antibiotics, took those, nothing. Then they gave me a transvaginal ultrasound and still could not find nothing. So he said, well, you've been on the pill most of your life. I think it's endometriosis or um, uh, interstitial cystitis. But with interstitial cystitis, you don't have any other symptoms, but this, this uncomfortable pain. And I said, yeah, that's it. And he said, well, let's go on the bladder diet. Let's, you know, take free leave or whatever. But I really think it's endometriosis. And I don't feel like it's endometriosis. I've been looking up the symptoms. My partner's been with someone that's had that. It's extremely, extremely painful. And so I've been I've been using ginger poultices on my navel, and I've also been drinking infusions um, for a couple days. And the infusions have motherwort, dandelion, uh, dong kwai, uh, licorice, marshmallow. Um, I hope you're not really making an infusion. I hope you're actually making a tea. Well, what I'm doing is I'm boiling water, and mm-hmm. I'm mixing that and I'm letting it sit for like eight hours and then I'm drinking it. So I'm assuming that's an infusion, right? Um, so here's a couple of general rules about infusions. Okay. We only use one herb at a time. Okay. We never make an infusion of any herb that has a strong smell, like licorice. Okay. So I think that what you're doing is not anything that I would be comfortable with. I would not be 
I would not be comfortable with what you're doing at all. Okay. So is there a certain herb? What, you what you're doing is called compounding. Okay. You're compounding the herbs. And people mm-hmm. do it for several reasons. They do it because they don't know enough about herbs, so they throw everything in hoping they'll get the right one. Mm-hmm. Or they do it because they want to make some special secret formula that you'll always have to buy from them. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just trying um, to or they do it because they've been taught that herbs can't work alone, that they have to be compounded. Mm-hmm. And I find actually just the opposite to be true, that herbs work far better when they're not compounded. Okay. And that we have much a much greater sense of our own um, power and what the plant's doing when we don't compound them. But I want to reel okay. back a little bit here. Um, there's... There's to you a very clear cause and effect between your pain and the sexual intercourse. Yes. I don't know if I agree. Okay. Partly because I know that the place where humans are the worst is in figuring out cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And secondly, because trauma does heal itself. Yeah, it's not healing. (laughs) This is not trauma. This is not traumatic in origin. I want to remind you that when you go to a doctor, you are asking for drugs or surgery as a solution to your problem. I'm actually looking for a diagnosis, and then I try to heal myself. <laughs> is I just need someone to tell me what is wrong with me, and then I... Why do you use... need a diagnosis? Because I don't know exactly... a diagnosis ignoring yourself. Because I don't know exactly... You're chasing where... a diagnosis and taking all of these things on spec when... You know what you're experiencing. It doesn't need to have a name to be treated. But I don't know if it's because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. It does not matter what's causing it. Okay. I guess I'm just trying to figure out where the pain is. I mean, it's. you know, I like completely. I don't know understand. if I, my, I don't. I don't know if it's my bladder. I don't know if it's my cervix. I don't know what it is that's hurting. That's that's my problem. Who I mean, have you asked? Pardon? Who have you asked? Everyone but yourself. Tried looking up like diagrams, like everyone um, but yourself. Tried looking up is not asking yourself. I want you to lay down on your back, close your eyes, and breathe. And I just want you to breathe. 
take three breaths or four breaths or five breaths, count them, make them slower and slower. And then I want you to count from ten backwards to zero. And when you get to zero, I want you to put your hands on your belly. And I want you to say, I love you. I want your happiness. Help me. What you are doing is what you've been taught to do, which is making war against yourself in an effort to heal yourself. I don't blame you. It's what everybody does. But it doesn't work, does it? Not so far. (laughs) It can't ever work. How can it work? How can you heal yourself when you're making war on yourself? I see. So we start by slowing our breathing down, counting backwards from 10 to 0, which starts the deep relaxation process in the body and allows the brain chemistry to change. Okay. And then you can put your hands on your belly and be real with your belly. Tell your belly that you love it. Tell your belly that you want joy for it. And let your belly teach you how to take care of it. And I bet it's not going to say, do an ultrasound, take antibiotics. Right. No, I don't want to take antibiotics. I don't want to do that. And that's why I suggest that we use the seven medicines. So rather than starting with antibiotics, we start with asking ourselves what's going on. Not mentally, but physically. Mm -hmm. So heal through, like, meditation is what you're saying. Not necessarily. Your body might say to you, we really need you to do this herb, or we really need for you to do yoga, or we really need for you to take a Qigong class, or we really need for you... I don't know. We need for you to go horseback. I don't know what it's going to tell you. Right. It's you're not okay. healing through meditation. You are listening to yourself. Mhm. And what we want is nourishing herbal infusions and the nourishing herbal infusions nurture our ability to hear ourselves. When we make a nourishing herbal infusion with nettle, with oat straw, with linden, with comfrey, with red clover, when we rotate through those herbs, then we create a basis, a physical basis of communication between our bodies and our psyches. Okay. Okay. And maybe you'll call me back in two weeks and we'll carry on this conversation. You'll give me a report on what has happened and we'll continue on. Will that work for you? Yes, it'll work for me. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Okay.
All right. And we have about 21 minutes before our guest joins us this evening. Poor Carl. Oh, my goodness. Mark. I didn't even talk about the guest. Wow. Oh, that's right, because I got, got involved in reading this one. Some long, 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 long letter. Let me get into the room where I have um, 2-1-22. That's not this date. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe the reason I didn't read it is because, ha-ha, I don't. Do you know who's going to be on tonight? I do. We will be joined by Raven Keys this evening. And a um, little bit of background for Raven. Um, she has a groundbreaking approach to using energy medicine for challenging treatments. And is the founder of um, a medical treatment uh, international and the first to bring Reiki into the operating room and to the NFL, and um, lots of interesting places and things she's done with Reiki and energy medicine, NBA, NFL, and written some books. So, yeah. Would you like me to read her whole bio now, or would you like to take oh, some calls? No, no, no. You, no. I'm looking to see if I have it from um, Allie, and I'm not seeing that. But that's okay. Fortunately, you have it. Did you get it from Allie? I did. Well, I'm on the blog talk site right now. I got the reminder from Alex. You're on the blog talk site. So if you want me to read it, you can email it to me. And then I'll read it. But I'm not seeing it in my email queue from Allie, which is why I didn't print it out and why I don't have it. (laughs) For some reason, I don't have it. Okay, so if you want me to zip it on over to me while I'm answering the next person. That sounds lovely. And the next person is... Oh, I Perfect. And uh, let's see. You are in the 401, the next caller, the 401 area code. You are live with Susan. Hello. My name is Deborah. Susan, I met you several years ago in Rhode Island at an Hi, event Deborah. you were guest speaker at. Um, my question had to do, we, we chatted about the old Meadowbrook. I don't know if you remember, but I don't expect oh, you to. Oh, yes. Oh, what a wonderful place. Okay. So um, my question was to talk about blood pressure, which I just discovered I had high blood pressure. Of course, the first caller brought it up immediately. I thought of you this morning when I woke up, and I've been waiting all day. Now you sort of like answered all the questions and uh, that I have about the blood pressure. Um, um, it's just I just don't even know why I have it. I've had I'm basically healthy. I've been doing herbalism for a long time, and I haven't done these infusions, so I do have it right here. I looked it up by the way. I want to tell you it comes to a dollar. 50 a day to do the herbal infusions. I worked it all out. I know I've heard a lot of people say it's very expensive, um, but it is initially, but it lasts a long time. So I don't know it, if you want to... It, you're exactly right, a dollar fifty a day, and that's at retail prices. Yeah. And you, you can get a DBA in any state of doing business as, and then you can buy wholesale from Frontier. And cut that price in half. 
Oh, okay. Frontier. Uh, because I, you're going to be buying. Think about it. If you use an ounce of herb a day, that's two pounds a month or 24 pounds a year. Oh, 24 pounds a year, okay. Right, and you get a price break if you buy five pounds of herb at a time. But you would it's want not, you to buy it all not, up front? Why not? It's all harvested at once. Oh. You have to have a cool, dry place to store it. True enough. You have to have a cool, dry place. But if you buy five pounds of nettle, five pounds of comfrey, five pounds of oat straw, five pounds of red clover, and since you're only using half an ounce of linden, you can do three pounds of linden, and you have to have a place to store that. But when you buy that at wholesale prices, you bring your cost per day way down, and you never have to worry about running out. Now, would that assist me in um, the blood pressure issue, which um, it just came out of nowhere, actually. So I just don't, you know, I can't do, I can't do drugs. I've never, I can't do drugs. I, I, think, I, wanna... I, think, I think the nourishing herbal infusions would help you. The first woman was talking about hawthorn and motherwort, right. two herbs that are used as tinctures to help moderate and lower blood pressure. And those you don't want to use as infusions, the infusions are nourishing. And linden of those nourishing herbal infusions is the one that would be the most likely to help moderate your blood pressure. So be sure not to avoid that one, but to include that one. Okay. Um, They all, you know, have their own special... Um, gifts that they bring to us. Um, in how high is your blood pressure? Well, it um, it's one sixty over eighty two. That's pretty high. Mm. Do you have a blood pressure cuff at home that you're using? No, I don't. What Shall I buy thing? one? One of the things that I like is to make that investment. It's a pretty small investment in the blood pressure cuff. And then go crazy with it. Just for a week or two. But go totally crazy with it. So take your blood pressure when you wake up in the morning. Take your blood pressure after you pee. Take your blood pressure after you have a cup of coffee. Take your blood pressure after you make love. Take your blood pressure after you yell at somebody. Take your blood pressure after you commute. Just go absolutely nuts with it. Okay. One of the things that I found was that yelling lowered my blood pressure. Oh, my. I don't do that. It was Yelling was one of the best things to lower my blood But let me slack myself on half an hour of sleep, my blood pressure would shoot right up. Mm. That's what I want you to do. I want you to use that cuff to find out how does your blood pressure react to various things. And then you're in a position to moderate those things. You don't know what's causing your blood pressure to be high. Let's see if we can find out. Oh, perfect. I like that. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. 
Thank you. Meanwhile, yes, you can, you know, be working with nourishing herbal infusions. Nourishing herbal infusions are um, for all the times of our lives. We don't have to be sick or need them um, because they nourish us. And so they're there all the time. I've been drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion daily for over 30 years. Hmm. And it's one of the reasons that I was able to come out of the hospital at 119 pounds and put on 30 pounds of muscle. Wow. In a year. Mm-hmm. In one year. I was able to re-muscle myself. I'm actually stronger now than before the surgery. Wow. Good green protein. And good now, green. On the surgery, so just, just one more question before I let you go. Many times people believe that they are eating a really good diet because it's kind of confusing what a really good diet is, to say the least. And one thing that we know that really helps to moderate blood pressure is to eat greens. But what most people don't know is that those greens need to be cooked for at least an hour in order to give you that benefit. Like kale and chard and spinach? Yes. This is what I eat mostly. Yes, and are you cooking them for an hour? I'm uh, more like a half hour, and the soup's an hour. Uh Uh-huh. Well, and soup's good, right? And then other than that, see if you can increase that cooking time. And sometimes that alone will bring your blood pressure down. Okay. And, of course, the nourishing herbal infusions, which are greens... Right, the comfrey, the nettle, right, the oats yeah. and so on. Also, yeah. because they're you know brewed overnight, they don't have to be cooked; they're dried. But right. they they right. have that same effect. And then motherwort and hawthorn tincture, either one or both, whatever you want, um, often have a very direct effect on lowering blood pressure. And how many times a day, the hawthorn and motherwort, the tincture? It, your, blood pressure is, your blood pressure is pretty high. So I would think that we would want to start off with doing more and more frequently. And as your blood pressure responds, we could come down in both frequency and amount. But again, neither motherwort nor hawthorn. Hawthorn's related to apple. So it's kind of like saying, how much apple juice can I drink? Any amount you want. Right? And motherwort is in the mint family. So again, they're both really benign, easy to use, difficult to hurt yourself with. So are you, when you say often, do you mean like once an hour or every two hours or, or just three times a day? Three times a day is good. Okay. Unless you get a very strong sense that you need more. I get it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for I'm asking. delighted. <laughs> Good. I'm okay. glad I thought of you upon rising this morning. Thank you, thank I'm you. I'm so glad you did, too. And why don't you give us a call back in three or four weeks and let us know how it's going, okay? I will. I'd be delighted, thank too. Thank you. Bye, okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
applying. All right, and there are three callers waiting with their hands raised, and the next is dialed in from the 703. From the 703, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Thank you for giving, hi. Thank you for giving me the time to ask you some questions. I asked you before some questions, and it helped. Question I have is: Last time I asked you about the, my anxiety in the middle of the night. I wake up, I cannot go back to sleep, and you told me about motherboard. So I went and I got the tincture online from Herb Farm, and I start taking it like from five drops um, in the evening to put in the water, like two ounces of water, five drops of it, and then six drops the next day, night, and increase it in a week to, to ten drops. What I noticed that is um, my body starts itching. Is it possible? It, so I stopped the motherboard, and it, my body went to normal in the evening when I wanted to sleep, and I felt I was you know, waking up with itchiness in my body. So I wanted to ask you, can it be from motherboards or I should use a different way the motherboards so I won't get this um, itchiness? You know, Herb Farm is a really wonderful company. And yeah. they do a splendid job. The difficulty is that they use primarily dried herbs. Even when they harvest them themselves fresh, they will dry them before they make the tincture. And they generally use high-proof alcohol, often called grain alcohol. And there are real difficulties, to my mind, with grain alcohol and with dried herbs made into tinctures, especially with motherwort. In fact, I often say that if you don't get a tincture of motherwort made from the fresh plant, it's not even really motherwort tincture. Oh, okay. Because I got the organic one too, but it's still... I yeah, understand, I but you, we're talking about this because you're having a reaction to it. So there yeah. are two places I know that use only fresh herbs. One of those is red moon herbs. And the other one is Catskill Mountain Herbs. Catskill Mountain Herbs is a small tincture business run by White Feather. I just mentioned that White Feather and I took a walk this afternoon. She teaches with me at the Green Goddess Week. And she uses only fresh herbs and 100 proof vodka. So, you know what? Red I Moon Red Herbs. Moon. Red Moon Herbs was started by two past apprentices, neither of whom are working with the business now. They've gone on to other things in their lives, children and teaching and so on. And Red Moon Herbs uses fresh plants, but they do use grain alcohol. Now, when I started making tinctures, I couldn't buy grain alcohol because it was illegal in the state I lived in because it's lethal. So I don't think you had a reaction to motherwort. I think you had a reaction to the grain alcohol. Yes. I was wondering, is there any motherwort with no alcohol in it? Can I find something with no alcohol? 100 proof vodka in Catskill Mountain Herbals is not going to give you that reaction. It's the grain alcohol, and it's why I don't use it and why mm-hmm. I don't teach people. 
is it? Yes. One hundred proof vodka, Atskill Mountain Herbals. Okay. And where do you live? Okay. I live in Virginia. You live in Virginia. Okay. In about a month, your motherwort should be big enough to start thinking about making your own tincture. Motherwort grows all over Virginia. You'll be easily able to find it. If you haven't been able to find it in a month, give me a call back and we'll see what we can do to help you find it and make your own tincture. So you'll have your own motherwort tincture. You buy your vodka, you'll make your motherwort. It'll all be good. Meanwhile, if you want the motherwort, I would say get in touch with White Feather at Catskill Mountain Herbals. But you do not going to want motherwort. It's really nasty tasting tea. All right, Hawthorne, you could do Uh, some tea. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah I Skunk cap, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the skunk cap and the motherwort, to my mind, are the herbs that are most sensitive to having to be used fresh. And the most yes, sensitive to, to what happens when yeah. when they get around grain alcohol. But I find a great many people do react to the grain alcohol, so I'm truly not that okay. surprised. And thank you, okay. Susan. I have one more question. Can I, when I cook my vegetables, uh-huh. And I leave it in the refrigerator because I am working full time. By the time I get home, like I cook them on, I cook them on Sunday and leave it in uh-huh. the refrigerator for a week uh-huh. to use for like six day use. But I heard uh, from some people it lose its benefit. It's good to use it in a fresh. How uh, you know it says it's not good. So what do you suggest? Should well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How can you destroy a mineral? Mm-hmm. Minerals are like iron, right? Iron and gold yeah. and calcium. You cannot destroy them, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you burn something to an ash, what's left are the minerals. So there's no way for any food to lose minerals through storage, is there? Mm-hmm. You simply cannot lose minerals when you store food, either cooked or uncooked. Vitamins or enzymes. Enzymes are more easily acted upon or uh, lost. The Mm -hmm. enzyme, the vitamin enzyme that is the most delicate is vitamin C. What kinds of things harm vitamin C? You probably know. Cooking. Heat. Heat harms vitamin Mm -hmm. C. What else? I don't know. What happens to an yeah. apple when you cut it open? Yeah, they change the color after if they say the air. So air harms vitamin C. Yes. Water washes it off. Yes. Water washes it off. Air harms it. Heat harms it. Just about anything you do to a plant is going to harm the vitamin C. Mm-hmm. The, all the other vitamins are generally liberated by cooking. Yeah. The carotenes, which are the coloring matter, the green, the orange, the yellow, the red, those need to be cooked. And the longer you cook and the longer time you store, the more of those compounds your body will get. Yes, which I do. Um, so long as they're not I, exposed to, so long as they're not exposed to oxidation, right? Yeah. 
You and take I a bunch of broccoli, you cook it, and you throw it in the middle of the kitchen table and leave it there for two days. It's not going to have much left. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about cooking no. the broccoli, packing it in a, into a container, and putting it in the refrigerator, yes? Yes. Yeah. And then next day, I warm and the portion I want to eat. I warm them and I eat them. Is that okay? Perfect. Right. Perfect. You, you're not okay. losing any nutrients. The only nutrient you're losing is vitamin C, which you're going to lose no matter what you do. If you're not bending yeah. over and eating the plant from the ground, you're not getting vitamin C. Okay. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You Great blessings. Thanks for asking. Bye. Good night. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Looks like we've got a minute and before so our is, is Raven with us? He is with us in the queue. Yes, he is. Raven Keys, CMRM, RMT, author of Medical Reiki, a groundbreaking approach to using energy medicine for challenging treatments, is founder of Raven Keys Medical Reiki International, RKMRI trademark. The first to bring Reiki into the operating room of Dr. Mehmet C. Oz, Raven is presently working with surgeons that include Dr. Sheldon Mark Feldman of Montefiore Medical Center, who is Chief Division of Breast Surgery and Breast Surgical Oncology, Director of Breast Cancer Services, Professor, Department of Surgery at Einstein Medical School, and past president of the American Society of Breast Surgeons. Raven has been providing Reiki to patients before, during and after surgeries for nearly two decades. Based on this important work, she continues to train Reiki masters from around the world in the creation of an elite, credentialed team known as Certified Medical Reiki Masters Trademark. In the world of professional sports, Raven has introduced Reiki to athletes in the NFL and NBA. Featured in national magazines such as Vogue and W, she was named Best Reiki Master in New York by New York Magazine and was televised as New Yorker of the Week on NY1 for providing volunteer Reiki services for eight and a half months after 9-11. She's also the author of the award-winning book, The Healing Power of Reiki and The Healing Light of Angels. Thank you for being with us tonight, Raven. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's my honor to be with you tonight. <laughs> so I know what Reiki is, and you know what Reiki is, but on the off chance that there's somebody listening who doesn't know what Reiki is, could you tell us what Reiki is, and then tell us what medical Reiki is? Well, Reiki is universal life force energy. It's whatever makes life happen throughout the universe, um, that's Reiki. Reiki carries that kind of unconditional love, which is the creative power. Um, And so when we do Reiki, we're standing, we are the delivery system. That's how I talk to doctors about it. I say, I'm like a hypodermic needle. I just like, I'm an empty vessel and I'm, I'm bringing forth this energy through my body and it heals. It's, um, it's a healing power because the creative power is making things. It's not a destructive force at all. And Reiki can never be used for anything except healing and for the good. It's impossible to use it any other way. Um, 
it, it's akin in a way, but it's the the it's akin to E equals M C square, the um, theory of relativity that Einstein brought forth into the world. And actually, I've discovered through the writing of the last, of the book Medical Reiki that um, E equals M C squared is what Re- the Reiki symbols bring forth. Energy that comes into matter, that's the body, or whatever you're, you're using the Reiki for. And then the, um, there's a symbol that makes it vibrate into divinity, the divinity that's within you. <laughs> so it's a healing power that we um, use as it comes through our bodies and then out of our hands. And, and medical healing, Reiki? Medical Reiki is using that force in the confines, if you will, of conventional medicine, meaning like situations. If you're in an operating room, you have to stay still. You can't be walking around. There's a whole sterile field there and everything. And there's a lot that goes on. And so medical Reiki is using Reiki itself in medical situations. And they can be extreme, especially in surgery. It's very, very intense. And I never tried to make any of this happen for myself. I had no thought. It was not on my, my playbook, in my playbook to ever work in medicine. It's like it was my destiny to do it, though, because I, it just happened. And so because, like, for, for better or for worse, I very humbly say that I am the only Reiki master on this planet who's been in surgery time after time after time after time, and I've seen what goes on, what, how, what the difficulties are, what you have to avoid and do and be ready to do, and, and so on and so on, serving in an environment that is not what we would ever experience in our own offices where things are calm and there are, you know, maybe nice music playing and candles maybe, everything so serene. Nuh-uh. No, it's like fast and furious and it's like intense. It's blood and it's bone and it's, 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 it's ex- extremely overwhelming <laughs> and can be. So the reason that I teach people medical Reiki is that I was asked by the angels, by Archangel Gabriel, to teach other Reiki masters everything that I know about working in surgery because I was told that this needs to happen. And I do understand why it would need to happen, at least some of it. You know, one of my visions has been not integrative medicine, but integrated medicine. Yeah. And this is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. At this point, integrative medicine says, you do the surgery and then we'll give you some Reiki. Mm-hmm. And I say, no, 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 the Reiki needs to be there during the surgery. Exactly. It, is. it needs to be so- integrated into it. Yes, we can help afterwards. I'm not saying it's not helpful afterwards, but it's, as you're saying, so much more that you can be present for. Exactly. And there's a way, 
when Reiki, when, when Reiki is being delivered during surgery, a lot of things are happening in the realm of protection that can't, it goes beyond anything I even have words for. It's like, for one thing, Reiki activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which means that the body, even though the person is unconscious, that place in their brain that makes that um, makes the hormones of rest and restore the parasympathetic nervous system is activated. Body remembers its own divinity and it remembers how to heal. If it's the opposite, if the person is stressed out and if you don't have anybody with you and you go into the operating room, it's terrifying. You're here in a place with all these people. You can't see them. They have masks on. They have things over their head. They're completely covered up. And there are all these tools that are, you, you, it's, it's really a lot. And the body will go into stress. And it doesn't matter about the anesthesia. The body is in stress because it's just afraid. And the, the, the body can't heal properly. It just can't. And, the, you know, talk about transplant surgery. Holy mackerel. Like, what is going on there? It's like somebody died somewhere and now their organ is being brought to this other person on the table, and they don't know if they're going to wake up, you know. It's like so unbelievably extreme. And then what about the energy that is in this organ that's coming now? Um, first of all, I had to have my kidney out because of um, all the poison that I took into myself at ground zero because I was down there for eight and a half months doing um, Reiki for first responders and the people that were cleaning up the mess. And, um, and like, well, I cried. My mother was deceased by that time. And I was giving up something that my mother had made when I was in utero. And so I was like, in a way, giving up. I, it was kind of like a deep psychological, I don't know how to describe it, but it really mattered to me. And, um, I was lucky because I had Reiki during surgery. The surgeon that took out my kidney had never had Reiki in this operating room before, but he raved about it and put it, made it part of what he was passing out to his patients in the future that they should have Reiki during surgery. And um, also, it's like now, okay, so this person died in an accident. We don't know what the condition of, of their life was at that moment in time. The conservation, the law of conservation of energy states that, um, just using meat as an example, when the animals are terrified when they're killed for meat, all, that, the, all those hormones are in the meat, and it affects you. And so, okay, here comes an organ. And what, what was the condition of the person when they died? Were they in a, a, a terrified state? Well, you know, like because of the power of medical Reiki, like we know how to make everything work out, like make a translation, um, bless the, pe the person who's giving the organ from where we are. We can, um, you know, because... Well, all of us, for the most part, work with angels. And there's the angel chain. All right, go and, like, bless that person and let the guardian angels really bless them. And then the organ can live, like, when it gets to the person because you're already priming them to receive this gift. It goes on in a very deep way, and we're not 
saying anything. It's just what Reiki does. It brings balance and beauty and healing of physical, etheric, emotional, mental, causal, buddhic, atmic, all the bodies of a person get healed. And um, it's just phenomenal. And what's been noted, and the reason why I like, well, this is New York City where I live, and um, the doctors here, a lot of them are scientists. That's why I've had a career at all. They want to know, what is this? Like the really brilliant ones, they know there's the other thing, the thing that they can't put their finger on, but they know that why does one patient that, that has the same surgery do so much better or worse? than the other they know there's something that's up and when they find out that we can deliver that it's like it's golden and the patients yes yeah yeah when i went in for my uh, hernia repair and they came to give me you know like the feel good drug beforehand and i said i don't need that because there were so many people sending me life force energy that I was just like, wow, you know, I was in a field of bliss, right? And they actually had one young man there for a hernia repair, and they had given him like three doses of their good drug, and he was still like, you know, clawing the walls. And they finally they came over to me and they said, can he sit next to you? And I said, of course. And you know what happened when he sat next to me. Yeah. He was yeah. in that field of bliss too. Because it really does exist. Yes. And the thing, too, is that when um, Reiki's being administered in the operating room, everybody feels it. These are people that do surgery time after time after time after time, day after day after day. When Reiki's present, they feel it. And they can tell the difference. Because we are Reiki. This is really I totally know that this is real, that we are Reiki. The more you do it, the more Reiki you become yourself. And just your energy, your presence in a room transforms everything. And then Reiki's being delivered. And, you know, um, like in terms of having pets and everything, a lot of us make jokes about this. You know, oh, yes, well, I was having a, a session and my, I, what was happening in my home, and the, and the dog just kept trying to jump up on the table. They love Reiki. It's kind of like that, you know? Like uh, animals are really um, really sensitive to it, and they love it. And it's the same. We're, we're animals. Humans are animals too, you know? It calms their ap- operating room down. And uh, also, it, it protects the person on the table from invasion. And I'm not going to go into a big deal about that, but that's what happens. It's so protective in so many more ways than we can even really enunciate. Yes. And it's, um, you know, I talk about deep medicine and that when we're in surgery, we are in deep. And Reiki is the guardian that you put when you have to go deep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you are defenseless without it. I mean, for those of us who do energy work, we are protected if we have to go through something with or without someone else. But I, I'll tell you something. After knowing what happens in the OR, it's just like, 
it's like these people are brilliant. They can do amazing things and save lives. But, but you know what? Sometimes the treatments are so extreme and the panic is so overwhelming that the person who got their life saved could be shattered from the whole experience. Um, and Reiki protects that from ever happening. I had... I have had people tell me the most incredible things after their surgeries. And this is just something that's popping into my head right now. There's a woman I went to her. um, She had a mastectomy. So it was one breast that she was losing. And she wrote to me a, a year later, like, you know, how it is. Like, people, their life goes on, your life goes on. And, like, I didn't actually... Um, talk to her so much after she had her recovery. Um, And so a year later, she wrote to me and said, it's the anniversary of the um, surgery we were, that you came to for me. I said, you know, yes. And, um, And then she said, I tell my friends and they can't believe it that my day of the mastectomy was a holy day. She said, I can't even tell you how much it meant to me that you were there and everything that happened for me because you were there. And um, I I kept that, you know, that's one of my treasures is that, um, that card that she sent me. She also emailed me on the anniversary, but she sent me this beautiful card of, of thanks. And that's just one thing. I had a client who, well, because I was I worked with Dr. Feldman, I've had his, him send his patients to me from the moment that, in some cases, from the moment they were diagnosed with cancer, and because they're freaking out, da 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 da, they don't know what they're doing. They, I mean, it's like shock. You go into this place you don't even know. They don't even know in some cases why they're coming to me or what I do. They're, they're just following the doctor's orders. So then. I mean, this has happened to me and then go through all their chemotherapy and um, make sure that they're okay after radiation and surgery, going to surgery, everything. And there was this one woman, and she is an opera singer. She decided to become a Reiki master when all this was over. And because she was a composer as well as an opera singer, and um, she actually created... Um, a musical piece, Sound of the Radiation Machine. Amazing, right? <laughs> I love it. That's wonderful. It was oh performed in New York City. It was performed here. And that's the big difference. It's like rather rather than being crushed and, you know, like left in this trauma, traumatized situation, no, 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 that's not what happens when, when Reiki is part of surgery or taking care of a patient no it's not what happens at all it's completely different completely it then deep medicine actually is a healing not just a saving of the life right right that's why i so push for for integrative medicine because I see exactly what you see, that they're brilliant Mm -hmm. at saving lives, but even though the life is saved, the life is gone. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And 
well, you know, this this has to happen. It really does. And um, Gabriel said from the beginning, I didn't know how I was going to be able to do any of this. I really didn't. And then I, I said, okay, I'll try. I was like crying on the tour. I don't know if you know anything about, you know, the magical lands of Avalon, but I was in Avalon, Glastonbury, UK, and my husband mm-hmm. was dying. And I couldn't do mm. a thing about it, you know? And so I was mm. like on the, up on the tour crying. And Gabriel came and like comforted me and held me and like said to me, there, this is his journey and there's nothing you can do about it. It's all, he's being protected. He's surrounded by angels. We've got him. And for your own um, healing in the midst of all this, we would really, um, we have a request that you do something for us. We would wish for you to teach other Reiki masters how to, how to go in and do surgery uh, just safely and unobtrusively. That's the whole thing. That's what the training is all about. It's how do you do this. And, um, and, and because I don't know, like I laid all the groundwork with what needs to happen. I mean, I wrote protocol for myself. And um, so, so, you know, I just was started doing it. And then I had a meeting with Dr. Feldman uh, to tell him what I was up to after it was like booming. Like from the first minute, it was like everybody wanted to do. I don't even know how people were finding out about this. And the people were coming from Canada and this and that to New York to study medical Reiki. And, the, and it continues. Like I have people all over the world now who are medical Reiki masters, that I even have a division of my company in Ireland, Medical Reiki Ireland. Um, it's amazing. And uh, the only reason I have a company is because I went and had a meeting with Dr. Feldman, whom I only really ever saw in the operating room, frankly, or in pre-op. Or maybe I saw him after the surgery if he happened to, if it happened to be timed correctly for us to both be in post-op at the same time. But mostly it was really just in the operating room. And so I made an appointment with him and I said, you know, this is what I'm doing. I brought him the manual, everything, and um, the certificate that I was providing. He was like, this is great. Now we have to, he said, you need to have a company. You have to make a company that's standing behind this. It's not good enough. You have to, you know, for it just to be you, there's gotta be a company. So that's why I made a company. And, um, And then also he said, um, it's really been a, tr- a struggle, but, you know, he said, now it's time for us to really start to plan a research project because this is all, I can see that this is going to become an international thing. So, you know, the NIH is not interested in giving any of its big bucks to Reiki right now because there isn't enough really rigorous um, research done by the right people for um, them to even consider it. And that's why this research is happening. And we raised all the money. We, he and I started a company together, uh, not-for-profit. And, um, and the, all the money was raised for the first go-round of the surgery from mostly Reiki practitioners from around the world because the secretary of the not-for-profit is um, she started a, a thing on Facebook, a group, Medical Reiki Works. And all these people joined. There are lots, so many people that are in that group now. And they all 
and research is expensive. And we got all the money to start this research and we're just about to do it and COVID came. It took, it took time to raise that money. It really did. There's no doubt about it. No, we didn't have a big sponsor or somebody show up. No, it was we, the people, you know, the people. Um, and so, now we're about to finally start, I think. But it was, and during COVID, it's just been so difficult, hasn't it? It has indeed. In fact, I was in surgery in New York City in May 2020. Oh, my God. I so you couldn't have anybody. I was in surgery for 17 hours with four different teams oh and then God. in an induced coma for 13 hours afterwards. Oh, my gosh, you poor darling thing. But you, I'm sure Oh, you but I know, not poor at all. I told them beforehand. I said, you're not working on a Ford. You're working on a Mercedes. You treat it like a Mercedes. You don't treat it like a Ford. I said, and I'm a risk taker. I'm protected. And I'll be protected the whole time. You come to a place where you say the conservative thing is this, the risky thing is this, you do the risky thing. Yeah. Because it will, it'll work better and just trust, trust. Because I need a charmed life. We all need charmed lives. Most people just don't notice their charms. Yeah. But you notice. You notice the charm and you follow where your life has told you to go. You've gone and you've gone gleefully and fully. And that's exactly yeah. what I did, too. You know, they took me out of there and brought me to recovery. And I had a theme every day for songs. And anybody who came in my room had to sing. Oh, wow. That's Childhood songs that you remember. Your favorite song from a show. You're, I had a different theme every day to keep them going, keep the energy flowing, and keep, let's call it the Reiki, alive. Yeah. Because, because we're you know we're talking a lockdown situation there. Nobody was allowed in my room. Nobody exactly. besides the nurses. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at yeah. the 57th bridge. Do 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 do. Feeling groovy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's precious, really. Oh my God, that's cool. Yay, Susan. Yes. Yeah, you know. Because when you are doing deep medicine, you don't have to be the victim of it. You can use integrative medicine, and you can use that deepness to restore yourself. I had a cancer that would have killed me. When they imaged it on May 8th, it was 7 centimeters. When they took it out of my body five days later, it was 8.5 centimeters. Wow. Wow. <laughs> right. yeah, that's what happens. And it was, an anthropo- it was an anthroposophic MD who twisted my arm and she said, I want you in surgery and I want you in surgery as soon as possible. And if I hadn't been pushed by her, I, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have made it in time. So I want to be sure before our time is over that you let people know how they can get in touch with you. Maybe they want to be a certified medical Reiki master. Maybe they already do Reiki. Maybe they are spat it. Maybe they're already a Reiki master and want to go the next step. How do they get in touch with you, Raven? Well, 
Um, only Reiki masters are allowed to take the medical Reiki training because it's so intense that that's how it is. But So if anybody is a Reiki master and they want to become a medical Reiki master, you, um, my website is ravenkeysmedicalreiki.com. And on there, you can, like, look around and see what's what and see some testimonials and everything else. And then there's the, the, um, the page that's for Listen, training. I'm just going to interrupt you for a moment and say that Keys is spelled with an extra E, K-E-Y-E-S. And if you don't know how to spell Reiki, you shouldn't come. Yes. And then you can um, go to the training page. There is Reiki training, but this is a trainings page. And um, then you'll see what's what there, like what's available. Um, we have a training coming up this weekend. And like we do trainings in all different time zones. And I sometimes I, because of COVID, not being able to go anywhere and do in person trainings, so I have, I always have more than one country in a training. And, you know, Australia, Cyprus, you name it, Ireland, just all over the world, people are are coming. I once had a training with seven nations in it, people from seven countries. And I don't have huge trainings either because I want to make sure that um, everybody gets special attention. So, yeah, and if you um, have a question, you can send an email to info at ravenkeysmedicalreiki.com, and then my business manager will get back to you and tell you everything. He's a lovely British boy named Chris Mitchell. Um, he's not a boy. He's a man. But anyway, I just like to call him. It's, it's wonderful to get to speak to somebody for us, for us Americans, who has a British accent. It's really a wonderful thing. And he's very, <laughs> I very know Americans have a soft need for British accents. And we have, we have had such a good time talking. I could easily talk to you for a long, long time, but we're limited to half an hour. So the last question of our time together, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you? Um, just that love is everything. And the only thing that we can do right now is love. Love and love and love. It's the only solution. And it's really an honor to be able to bring love to people who need it because they're jammed up and have to face really serious things. And it's the greatest joy to be able to deliver love to those in need. So just love and do your own thing. And everybody has a healing gift and just use it. Love, love, love. You know, I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I want to thank you very much for the beautiful threads of the energy and glow and glitter that you have brought to this weaving tonight <laughs> and throughout it. your life and your work and all that you are sharing. Thank you for leading a charmed life. And hey, Sarah Ellen, thanks so much for helping me put together the Comfrey Conference and for helping to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Good night, everybody, and green blessings. Love you, Susan. Good night. Love you too, Sarah Allen. Good night. Good night, Raven. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.